Welcome to the Fiber for Breakfast podcast, a series that discusses fiber as the critical infrastructure for today's growing broadband needs. Listen in as Gary Bolton, CEO and President of the Fiber Broadband Association, speaks with industry thought leaders and experts about connectivity issues and the impact on the remote workplace. I hope you enjoy today's discussion, which will start momentarily. And remember, subscribe and like this podcast on your favorite platform. This week's Fiber for Breakfast brought to you by our platinum sponsor, Wesco. Well, good morning, everyone, and welcome to the Fiber Broadband Association's Fiber for Breakfast. We're now in our sixth episode of 2024. But before I kick off, I'd like to thank Wesco, the platinum sponsor of Fiber for Breakfast. You know, tomorrow, the Affordability Connectivity Program, ACP, the largest and most successful broadband affordability program in our nation, will stop accepting new enrollments as of tomorrow, February 8th. For those 23 million American families currently in the program, the FCC anticipates the current ACP funding will last through April with only partial support available in May. Uh, the FCC Chairwoman Rosenworcel has requested that Congress appropriate an additional $7 billion to fund ACP through the remainder of the year. The Fiber Broadband Association strongly urges Congress to act to fund ACP before we lose these 23 million low-income Americans that need the internet the most. Our first regional Fiber Connect workshop is coming up this week, Thursday, tomorrow, February, yeah, it's tomorrow, February 8th in Richmond. We have an amazing lineup of speakers, including Joey Winder from Treasury and former FCC Chairman Ajit Pai. We've already hit a record in registration, but registration's still open for now, so do not delay and register by going to register.richmond.fbaevent.org. In addition to Richmond, we'll be at Little Rock in April, in Deer Valley in June, Des Moines in September, Albuquerque in November, and our big event, Fiber Connect 2024, is in Nashville, July 28 to 31. So I hope to see you guys there. That brings us to today's Fiber for Breakfast session with Ned Brody, the founder and CEO of Actify and partner at Foundry.ai, discuss an AI guide for broadband CXOs. What's real and what's hype? Last week on Fire for Breakfast, our guest was Jim Stegman, the CEO of CostQuest Associates, who discussed the critical role of broadband fabric and precision data for funding programs. You know, this is a great session where Jim gave us a behind the scenes look on how the national broadband map is generated. So if you missed it, you know, go to the FBA for the website for our replay. Today on Fire for Breakfast, our guest is Ned Brody, the founder and CEO of um, Actify and partner at Foundry.ai discussed an AI guide for broadband CXOs. What's real and what's hype? Ned serves as CEO of Actify and a partner at Foundry.ai, an incubator of AI companies and Actify's parent company. He's helped shape a variety of tech businesses over the past 20 years, having been Yahoo's head of Americas, CEO of AOL Networks, and chief revenue officer at AOL and CFO for Look smart. Well, welcome, Ned, and for our audience, please type in your questions as we go, and we'll work them into the Q and A at the end. With that, let's get things kicked off. Well, thanks, Gary. Really appreciate the, the invitation, and uh, hopefully, this will be a great session for anyone who's interested in how you adopt AI, especially in the broadband industry. So, a little bit of background: uh, I've been working in AI um, really most of my life. Uh, as you know, one of the first real applications of artificial intelligence turned out to be um, in what was called programmatic advertising, trying to figure out 
what you should show to what person to get a reaction at what time. Um, but over the last six or seven years, uh, I've been working in artificial intelligence in healthcare, procurement, um, a number of other industries, and over the last three in broadband. Um, the model we had at Foundry was, and is and was, um, that we would work with large companies who found a business problem that they thought could be alleviated through the application of AI. And we would work them to build a prototype, and if the prototype worked, we would create a company to commercialize that technology. And so about three or four years ago, we were approached by a broadband company. Um, and in many ways, broadband has a perfect recipe for the application of artificial intelligence, which is a tremendous lot of data, um, things that occur over and over and over again, because you have a consumer business primarily that has lots of customers doing the same thing, and it is relatively unaided by data analysis at this point. So we built a prototype uh, that worked. And what I want to do today is do a little bit of demystifying artificial intelligence, but also talk about how you can actually apply artificial intelligence today to really drive profitability improvements in the company. Um, there is a tremendous amount of hype around artificial intelligence in the marketplace. Um, we used to say, when we started Foundry six or seven years ago, that it was second only to cryptocurrency, but that has obviously been eclipsed at this point uh, with the opening of uh, OpenAI and um, the prevalence of large language models and all those things coming to the fore. But so there's a lot of hype around it, but very little practical use of artificial intelligence to drive real profitability. And so what I want to do is start with just a couple, a high-level overview of what is artificial intelligence, some of the types. So the first thing to understand is that OpenAI is not the same thing as artificial intelligence. It is a type of artificial intelligence. But like many technologies that have risen very quickly, um, there are varieties and shapes and forms and applications. And if you think back, uh, way back to the 1990s, there was an interesting parallel in the rise of the internet. Um, and if you think about back in the 90s and you talk to people who were working in technology, they would often say, if you ask them what they did, they would say, I work in the internet. The internet had a capital I and it was something you could work in. Um, obviously, those days are long past and the internet is really built into everything we do from the development of markets and channels. And obviously, we're speaking to each other right now over the internet. Artificial intelligence is at the same place that inter the internet was in the early 90s and the mid 90s, which is the technology is being thought of as a standalone application, a standalone technology. In reality, it's a set of tools that can solve everyday business problems. And most of you are already using it today. The most common form of artificial intelligence today is natural language processing, which really evaluates speech and text and is able to convert between the two. And if you have, if you work in the industry at a provider of broadband services, um, you're using it today typically to translate um, your calls into text uh, for analysis from everything from did my customer service reps adhere to what they were supposed to do, but also did they um, uh, in fact say what they were supposed to say uh, and vice versa for things like sentiment analysis and the like. But that's one type. The, where all the hype is right now is the next point, which is generative AI, um, which is often kind of linked to uh, large language models. But this generative AI is really exactly what it says it's supposed to do, which is it's generating new content, typically text and images. So it's great for appearing like a human, has broad applicability, but it's not really terrific for accuracy. There are things what are you know, today are called hallucinations, where it might seem perfectly reasonable, 
but in fact, the content is actually false. And so newer technologies like RAG uh, technologies are trying to fix that, but generative AI is another form of artificial intelligence, but it has become synonymous with the term right now. But the most useful um, tool is actually predictive or prescriptive AI. And this has various forms, machine learning, deep learning. Um, there's lots of, uh, there's no shortage of jargon in the industry. But really, prescriptive AI is predicting outcomes from inputs and recommending actions. So it's great when a decision occurs frequently and that decision is an essential part of the business and that decision has real economic impact. So if you're looking for places to actually drive profitability using AI today, you really want to start on the right-hand slide of this, uh, the right-hand side of this slide, which is trying to use prescriptive AI to improve the decision-making that occurs at your organizations. And that's really what, what we're going to talk about today. So the most useful AI today really does essentially what a human being would do. So forget everything you've heard about definitions of AI and types of AI. Think of it really as what it means, which is it's artificial intelligence. And human beings are very good at using their intelligence. So we use often a practical kind of everyday approach to what, uh, what artificial intelligence means, which is it's exactly what a human being would do if they had access to as much information as possible, not humanly possible, but possible in the market in real time. And those data sources, most companies think of data as something that sits inside of their four walls, but that's really not true. The vast majority of data is accessible in the marketplace, and there's been a tremendous democratization of data in the world, um, technologically through things like APIs, but almost all information that you want is actually available, either free or um, you know, through purchase or through any other relationship. Um, but we'll talk about different types of data because it doesn't have to be as accurate as you think it does. But so if you could get all the data you wanted to in real time, and you could process that data in real time to calculate, make calculations or decisions in real time, and you wouldn't make any math mistakes, so you're computationally infallible, what would you do as a human being? And so if you think about all the things that human beings do in your organization today, think about all the decisions that are actually being made by those individuals. And sometimes we don't even think of them as, tech, as, as decisions. We think of them as processes or the way we work at business, but everything is actually a decision. And so we're gonna walk through how do you actually think about what decisions make sense. But first we're gonna talk about how you make it practical. So, there's really three things that are important to make artificial intelligence make you money in your organizations today. And the first is data. So what data does is it's the foundation of all artificial intelligence. The problem is that data often takes time to collect if it's not readily available. So um, you may need to set up data capture elements within your organization to capture the parameters around which a decision is made so that you can optimize, optimize that decision. The most important thing to understand is that data doesn't have to be exact or deterministic. Um, it can be probabilistic. It helps just as much if you know that there is an 80% likelihood that the following event is going to be true and a 60% likelihood that the following data is gonna be this, as it is that you know exactly what it is. Because you can work with ambiguities in artificial intelligence. It's gonna do its job of predicting whether the data is deterministic or probabilistic. 
and don't err on the side of thinking it only has to be exact data. You can use estimates. And the real problem is even big companies have data quality limitations from historical biases, from sales and marketing strategies, anything. So oftentimes you have to think about how you can get data outside of your company, even to look at, we'll talk about the next step, um, industry-wide specific. So data is the first element. And the next thing you need to really make artificial intelligence work is a training set. And what all artificial intelligence is really doing is taking a set of data that is the input and trying to predict an output. It's taking a query that you use in OpenAI and predicting the outcome that it thinks you want. Or in the case of decisions, um, it may be that you're taking a situation and trying to predict what a consumer would do or a customer would do or whether you should send a truck out um, when you get a problem call. All of those things are decisions. But the training set has to be a set. It has to be an input and an output. And what you'll find is many companies in the world record the outcome because they need that for their business. What happened um, when I rolled the truck? What happened when I said this to a consumer? But they didn't actually record what they said or the inputs, and so you have to have that set. And so you need to begin doing it to make it work over time. And sometimes that takes a very long time if your sales velocity or your operations velocity isn't very big, because you need often hundreds of thousands of data points to make the, the predictions accurate. So in the training set, any company's ability to build predictive models is based only on the data is limited by scale, footprint, homes pass, net ads, et cetera. But if a small company, you would want to leverage cross-industry anonymized data sets with a very broad perspective. And you know these things have happened. So things like FICO scores and credit worthiness, all of those things were built at industry levels, not on a specific company. And there is data that can be derived across the broadband industry that can be anonymized to bring a better training set to bear. And the last thing you need once you have data and a training set is some form of operations layer because it's very, very rare that data itself um, or the models themselves produce an output that is usable. Typically, if you have a human being in the loop, and mostly you do because our companies are filled with human beings, either customer service representatives or uh, service people or credit scorers or whatever they are, um, they are going to be in the loop. And so you need some form of layer to actually affect change. Uh, typically, that's a UI or some software, um, but that software also has to be able to evaluate and measure the impact and be recursive. So it has to feed back into the training sets so that your models get better and better over time. So it's really hard for most companies to, if you don't lay out what your data set is, how you, you're going to train that, uh, those models, and then have an operations layer to make it work. So I'm going to walk through a very practical way to do that in your company and talk about some examples that we've seen in the marketplace. What you'll find um, here is that uh, the best way to do this is to start with a business problem. So it is not about applying artificial intelligence technology. It's about identifying business problems and then applying the technology. So oftentimes people talk about technologies looking for a problem. Start with the business problem. And the best thing to do to start with your business problem, to find your business problem, is to look at your P&L. So simply walk through your P&L and ask, where are the biggest costs or revenue drivers in that organization? 
And typically for most broadband providers, the biggest piece, the biggest lever is in revenue, um, typically in marketing and sales. And that's because um, we are we're fortunate in this industry to have uh, essentially subscription products, meaning that what you set at the very beginning tends to drive your revenue for a very long time to come, typically between 48 and 60 months. Secondly, look at operation costs. So what are the big buckets? Customer care, field operations, network management, and then look to see what the decisions are that are being made in those. And what's important is to look for repeat valuable decisions that are specifically, or specifically those with varied options often left to humans. So there are bad examples of the attempt to use AI. So annual planning is the number one thing that we're asked to help with. And it is really not a great place to use AI. And the reason is that it occurs relatively infrequently. Annual planning by definition occurs once a year. The parameters are always very different. The market's different. And so it's very hard to build predictive models that are gonna help you. But there are plenty of places within the organization that you can find repeated decisions that have economic impact that are often left to humans. Let's talk about the biggest one. Uh, so the biggest revenue impacting broadband decision. So in this case, what happens is, um, you can just go to the next point. Um, so most of the customer's lifetime value is really determined by what they purchase at the beginning of the subscriber relationship. That's obvious to everyone. But what is initially offered and said directly impacts the, con the conversion rate. The ARPU is set at that point from a relatively wide range. Most companies have between a 75 and a 100% or even more uh, range between their lowest price products and their highest price products. And while churn is a function of many factors, mismatched purchases drive a lot of it. So the initial decision of what you offer and what you say to a consumer really drives uh, a lot of your economics from day one. And so if you think of that as a repeated human decision that's made tens of times for a small company, thousands of times for a large company a day, that is a place you might want to focus. So AI, AI optimization of those engagements can really drive more effective higher value sales. So let's go through an example of how you would affect sales. So when sales used to be predominantly door to door, they used to talk about, go look in the backyard. And if there's a swing set, you know that there's kids in the house, which means you should tell your sales pitch to having children, right? So if you think about what a human being would do, would you say the same things? Would you make the same offers if you knew at the start, before you opened your mouth with a consumer on the line, that they owned a multi-million dollar home um, versus a small apartment, or they were a family of five uh, with teenage kids who game, where they worked from home and needed the best video conferencing uh, skill capabilities they could get. All of those are examples of you might change the product that you offer, but you also might want to change the way you offer it. So for example, if you knew that this particular consumer lived in a neighborhood where more than 70% of the homes had bought 500 megabit service or higher, and you know that as a broadband company, you might use that in kind of a keeping up with the Joneses way to suggest that, that might be an appropriate product for that consumer. Or if you knew that you were competitively advantaged at one level, but disadvantaged at another, you might in fact choose to suggest the product that you were better at providing. All of these things turn out to be knowable, right? They just are hard to gather. 
So I'm giving you the example of a product that works in the marketplace today. So if you go to the next slide, um, this is a product and this is how it can work for you or how you, you can do it. So um, one thing that's very beneficial in this industry is that consumers have to give you their address because you need to know whether you can service that location. And although it might not be deterministic in many places, in other words, you don't know exactly the right answer, there is probabilistic data that you can use to figure these things out. So this a tool could, in real time, gather thousands of data points, demographics, what is the likely family size for that individual? What is their financial background, their education, their employment? Um, household data, what's the value of their home? Because the value of their home turns out to be highly correlated with their price sensitivity or price elasticity in economic terms. So you'll know whether someone is likely to take a higher or lower price product. And you've seen things like Zillow in the marketplace, which give good estimates of home value. Now, they don't sell their data, but there are ways that you can recreate that. So you can know everything you want to know about their household, how big it is, how many bedrooms are there. You could know the competitive landscape by understanding who else can service that home um, with what package and with pricing. And then you could ask some behavioral questions. Um, like, are you a gamer? Do you work from home and the like? And if you had all of that and you started recording it and then you looked and observed when you offered X to a customer, they took Y. When you offered Z and said this, they took Alpha. Then you would be able to build a machine learning model to do that and actually predict what you wanted. So once you have that tool, you could do things like this, which is if a new customer comes to you and you know that they're likely a four-person household, with a value, home value of $375,000, with three bedrooms, a college graduate with full employment, that there's a, you can go to the next portion of the slide, by the way, that there's one fiber, just keep going a little further, um, that there's one fiber provider with a following array of offers, one DSL provider offering a following array of offers, um, works from home. Uh, you might want to offer 500 megabits with an HSD only package, uh, with a mesh Wi-Fi upgrade and an HBO Max add-on, and say some things like these, because these might be exactly, they would be true, of course, but they are pertinent to that individual, that this could save you $120 a year versus competitor access speed, that 87% of customers working from home have bought 500 megabit service to ensure they have video conferencing that's smooth and reliable, which is what this person has asked for, and because they have three bedrooms, a mesh Wi-Fi upgrade can help them get stream video everywhere. And that will, in fact, drive increases in ARPU, boost acceptance, and retention. And we've seen this with companies, and typically you see ranges of ARPU increase between 8 and 14%, doubling of mesh Wi-Fi or mobile sales, uh, and retention goes down. So all of these things are possible if you, once again, find the data, build the model, and, in fact, implement the software to allow customer service agents to do this. But this is what is possible if you take artificial intelligence and just think about it in a very simple way, which is if that artificial intelligence is really what you as a human being would do if you had access to all the data available in real time, and you just got to find it. The ability to process all of that data and other calculations and decisions in real time and not make a math mistake. That's what you can do with AI today um, to really drive profitability. And it has very little to do with open AI. It has a lot to do with predictive machine learning and those types of artificial intelligence that are within everyone's capabilities. So Gary, I'm going to stop there because I know you want to have a couple minutes to, to ask questions. I hope that was useful for everyone as a primer and a way to think about uh, applications of AI in the marketplace or for your companies today. 
Well, Ned, uh, really interesting. Um, you got lots of questions coming in. As a matter of fact, it's even someone saying happy belated birthday. So I guess you just had a birthday. Um, but <laughs> I did, um, sadly, on Monday. Thank you. So, hey, this to start with, though, the way I think I, I think I heard you was if you look at your PL, you say, okay, how do I drive more top line revenue by increasing ARPU? Just do that example. And then the other would be, how do I improve my OPEX? So if I looked at another example, you would be saying, all right, look at the network management and how can you minimize truck rolls, uh, maximize performance using predictive. Exactly. Okay. Every one of those things is a decision. For example, to roll a truck is a decision that a customer service agent or a technical agent makes. And what is, what is the basis upon which they're making that? And you have outputs. So about a third to a fourth, uh, third to 40% of all truck rolls typically are, are categorized as education, meaning they didn't really have to go. But you could predict that a priori off of your data sets and your past histories, and then do a much better job of controlling those costs. Yeah, so some of the questions that come in and say, so is the majority of them the AI apps used to um, minimize churn or just maximize ARPU from the initial offer? Is that where you'd start? Well, everyone, every, there's always a different model. So you know, the way we've approached things with broadband companies in the marketplace is we have a model to predict what they're going to take a model to predict what you should say to convert them, a model to, to reduce churn and retention for retention calls. All of those are models built off of data sets. In our case, we're lucky because we work with multiple businesses. So we're able to, on an anonymous basis, aggregate all of that data across you know, dozens of companies and therefore have that data set. But you, know, you can do it, you, you can build that over time as well. So there, all of those are decisions that you can actually influence with better AI. All right, so one of the questions that came in is, how do you create a smaller, more manageable AI model that doesn't require terabits of data to have impact? I mean, is this thing on scale, or can you do this in small scale? So terabits of data really refers to large language models. Um, and those require, I mean, if you're thinking about what you're trying to do, you're trying to predict or write text um, based on a subject, and the training set is the history of the written English language, right? That's why they require terabits of you know, data and hundreds of millions of dollars of capital. But smaller things like that, like an LLM, like OpenAI, does not help you decide what to say to a customer because it's not trained on what did a customer do when I said do this. That's actually a much smaller set, even though from a data side, it's, you know, actually can be less than 100 megabits, of, 100 gigabits of data, but it tends to be repeated decisions. So how many times have you offered something to someone? Um, how often does it happen? How quickly can you get to t the high tens of thousands of data points? Because what you're really doing is predicting the efficacy rate and the more data, the higher the efficacy. So if you're small and you can't get there, you have to look to an industry solution. If you're really big, you can start recording now and in six months to 12 months, probably have enough data. Another question came in is, what AI tools do you recommend for everyday use? These sound more like uh, generative, but uh, ChatGPT, Bard, Firefly, um, it, is there things you recommend or? It's, I mean, they're all useful, but the question is for what, for what problem? So start with a business problem and then you find the right solution. So if your business problem is um, my notes from my field texts are unreadable and they're non-consistent, ChatGPT is an interesting tool for that. But if you're trying to predict the outcome of the example we just gave, which is 
how can I reduce churn for a given customer? ChatGPT is not a good solution. You need to build what are called light GBMs or other types of machine learning models using those technologies. And everyone has a light GBM model. So oftentimes it's not the tech, it's the, it's the system around it, the data, the training set, and then the tools to make it effective with a human being. So what is the number one takeaway from today's talk? From, from what I would say is that AI is here. Um, it's nothing to be afraid of. It's the natural evolution of things like uh, regression analysis and L predictive modeling. Um, but it's not like you shouldn't be asking, how do I use ChatGPT? You should be asking, what are my biggest business problems? And then how can I actually use a form of artificial intelligence to solve them? Because they are very solvable and solvable might be 10 to 20% improvements, but that's a lot of money when you look at the costs of truck rolls or the p potential for your average ARPU to go up or you know, the, um, the customer service costs that you have. Eight years down the road, there's, it's gonna be very different, but if people wanna get moving right now, you need to find a business problem and then look to see which ones of these applications can actually affect it. Well, Ned, thanks so much for sharing your expertise and knowledge on AI and for developing the key applications for the future that only fiber can deliver. And I wanna thank everyone for joining us today. Look forward to getting back together next Wednesday. We're gonna be speaking with Chick, uh, Chip Pickering from Encompass, Quinn Snyder from the Mississippi Broadband Association, and Anguiga Ogdalan from the Education Superhighway discuss what happens to Mississippi without ACP. ACP stops tomorrow, so what's gonna to happen to everybody? So you're not gonna to wanna to miss that. We'll see you guys next Wednesday. Thanks again, Ned.